G'day, it's Andy Saunders here again. This is So What? A podcast from Origin that questions everything you thought you knew about energy and explores the solutions that exist today. And in this episode, we explore batteries and what they can do for you. Batteries do two things primarily for customers. One is that they obviously let you store the solar power that you generate. Because the sun shines in the middle of the day, that's when most of your electricity is generated. And often what you find is the the property itself consumes some of that solar, but often it's more solar than than the house consumes. So it gets exported currently. This is Mark Kerr from Origin. Mark was in our episode on solar. So he's part of the podcast furniture here. He's the group manager for large-scale solar and operations within Origin. His team looks after behind-the-meter operations. Think of your energy meter as a border-crossing checkpoint. There's in front of and behind the meter. In front of the meter refers to anything that happens on the grid side. That's the national electricity market we've talked about before. All the poles and wires. Then there's behind the meter. That's anything that occurs on site, on the user side of the meter such as solar or your home battery. Whereas if you have a battery, what will happen is you'll charge up your battery and then as you get to the evening and the sun starts to drop, rather than purchasing electricity from the grid, you'll just use the electricity that you generated yourself and stored in your battery. So it allows you to capture more value from your solar system is essentially uh, what it does and it helps you avoid grid costs. So that's the first thing that storage systems can do for customers and, and, and often that's the main thing that customers are looking for. Normally, home batteries allow you to time shift when you use solar energy. Hmm, time shift? But the other exciting possibility with a battery is the ability to provide backup power for your entire home. The second thing that storage systems can do, if you pay a bit more, you can set them up so that they they effectively uh, can provide backup to your home. So under default sort of installation uh, with no backup, If the grid goes down and there's a blackout, well, you lose your power as well. But if you pay a bit more and get a partial backup or a full backup system, when the the poles and wires or the grid goes out, what happens is the battery will disconnect your home from the grid, and then it will power your home for you to the extent that you've got power stored up in your battery. And if the solar's still running, it will continue to charge up your battery. So that's called backup capability. If you think back 10 or 15 years ago, I would be younger, and you probably didn't know that many people who had solar. Now you see panels everywhere. Batteries are going to be the same. While they're a bit of a novelty right now, more and more people are choosing to add a battery to their home to participate in the transformation of our energy network. I've added two, but have to change them constantly. Maybe they should be bigger than AAAs, I reckon. Yeah. So you're seeing a big transition, in my view at least, as to how consumers or prosumers or businesses think about energy for themselves because they can start to become generators themselves through their own solar systems. They can start to change their own energy mix themselves. And while the initial entry price for solar was pretty high, our enthusiasm for the technology and government incentives helped many of us take the plunge and eventually the price dropped. Right now, batteries are still quite expensive and have a lengthy payback period. Some states have incentives, but could the same price drops happen for batteries? 
Gosh, I hope so. Mine are 10 bucks for a dozen at the moment. You know, for every 100 solar systems that go in in Australia right now, there's maybe two or three batteries go in. Having said that, um, batteries today are kind of where solar was 10 years ago. Batteries will get cheaper over time. Batteries will provide more benefit to customers over time. So it's really, it's a matter of, I think, those timeframes paying out and you'll, and you'll find that customers will, as we sit here right now, we'll say that they'll gradually adopt it, but in 10 years' time, we'll probably look back and go, wow, everyone's adopted batteries all of a sudden. And those residential batteries charged by solar can feed into the grid or can buy power when it's cheap and sell it back to the grid during peak periods. I would certainly say to people, that uh, battery technology does continue to improve year on year and the cost position of it is improving year on year. Uh, It's just a matter of where those products are being prioritised right now. As manufacturing scales up, technology will improve and the cost of residential batteries will come down, like it did with solar. Right now, manufacturers are prioritising batteries for electric vehicles, but also large and grid-scale projects. And, as we're finding out, those large-scale batteries have a lot of benefits. The large-scale batteries have have a bunch of technology built into them that allows them to really support the strength of the grid. So that's the grid runs at a certain frequency and it has all these other parameters. And the, the batteries, they act to keep the grid robust and reliable. Those things combined with the ability to, to, to store power and respond in a very quick way really gives grid-scale batteries um, some key capabilities compared to, to other sorts of technology that sits on the grid. Okay, I want you to lean in and listen here, because this is important information about how batteries can work to stabilize the grid. And there will be a test, so pay attention. Yes, Deb Saunders, I'm talking to you. With a battery... You can store your energy, use it back. If you don't have the battery, you um, lose it. Is that right? Sort of. Our energy grid has a set frequency, which needs to remain at around 50 hertz. That means 50 voltage cycles per second. Batteries can quickly determine if the grid needs help and they deliver or draw power in a fraction of a second to maintain the grid's frequency. A lot of your more traditional fossil fuel uh, type plant uh, just can't respond quickly. Coal-fired power stations, even the flexible ones, takes them considerable amount of time to ramp up in temperature and then ramp back down in temperature, whereas batteries simply they operate on like millisecond timescales. So they can detect weaknesses in the frequency of the grid and, and other features of the grid and respond to those things and keep it very robust. And they just have great flexibility in terms of when they can uh, store power from the grid or send power back to the grid, depending on what the battery operator is looking to achieve. So the flexibility of them, the adaptability of them in a world where the costs of them are coming down, you, you can see that um, there's very extensive plans by many, many companies in Australia to put in more and more grid-scale batteries to really allow uh, that flexibility and all of those things to occur. Uh, And that's why they're so attractive. Australia has already learned how successful a grid-scale battery can be, thanks to the giant Tesla battery at Hornsdale in South Australia. I thought Hornsdale was a cow. Anyway, the battery was made famous thanks to a Twitter exchange between Elon Musk and our own Mike Kennan-Brooks, where Elon promised to install the battery in 100 days or it would be free. Wow, that's sometimes faster than food delivery. 
To be fair, though, I shouldn't order it from overseas. Back when it launched in 2017, it was the biggest battery in the world and became an example of what could be possible. Like my 34 pocket pant invention, fits everything. I think we we learned everything that we more or less sort of expected. They're incredibly flexible and effective tools for um, energy balancing. We heard from Professor Ariel Liebman from the Monash Energy Institute way back in episode one. Remember those good old days? Only seems like three or four episodes ago. Wow, where did that time go? (laughs) Where's a time shift when you need it? (laughs) And um, particularly the important thing to know is because they're actually computer-managed devices, uh, they're you know, on top of your battery cells, which are a little bit like the ones in your, you know, mobile phone, they're well, a lot like actually, but just bigger lithium-ion batteries. There's a sophisticated battery management system with a sophisticated digital control system that allows you to sort of sculpt down to milliseconds the output of the battery or the charging of the battery. So the battery can play the role of a of a balancing actor, helping balance the supply and demand in uh, very, very fast timescales, which are the timescales at which we're starting to struggle when you just look at um, things like um, the interaction between coal and gas and hydro and uh, renewables like wind and solar. Like my wife, batteries can respond in a millisecond if things go haywire, if a grid or a transmission line goes down, or over minutes or hours they can build up energy storage in anticipation of it being required later on. That's a bit like me. So we've seen through the, the Tesla battery and do that. And it's really not a surprise. I mean, by the time you install one of these things at that scale, you know that it's going to be able to do all these things. So it's really just proves what we already knew and gives us, I guess, a lot more confidence that um, we need another 10,000 of those. <laughs> So, um, and, and we will need that sort of scale as we go towards and are beyond 100% renewables. Grid-scale batteries are offering us stability, especially as more of our energy demands are being met by renewables. Since 2017, we've learned a whole lot more about how batteries can benefit the network, and the projects being launched have become even more ambitious. Origin's even planning to build a giant battery at Araring in New South Wales of up to 700 megawatts. To put that into perspective, the giant Tesla battery in South Australia is just 150 megawatts. When it's built, Origin's big battery will be one of the biggest in the world. Then we can take over the universe, I think. Origin's got some big plans for grid-scale batteries throughout the areas that it operates in. It's building its plans to be able to put very large-scale batteries in a number of its existing facilities. And they offer great benefits to customers in terms of being able to make sure that there's reliable and consistent supply to the customers. And it's also a very good economic choice in terms of what's the best way to provide customers and the grid with the lowest cost services that the customers are wanting from them. Uh, And they're also just a great environmental choice as well in many ways because they're a good use of land, they don't make noise and all of those sorts of things. So just as grid-scale batteries can provide stability to the grid, imagine if our home batteries could connect and interact with the grid in the same way. And that's what's called a virtual power plant. A what now? 
Now, VPP is a virtual power plant, and, and what it is is essentially you can take all of these behind-the-meter energy assets, uh, whether that's solar systems uh, and batteries in particular. Uh, hang on, hang on to your batteries now. Let's not time shift ahead. But it can be other things like customers' hot water systems, uh, and it can be a whole range of... of Sorry, Mark. Like Deb does to me when I mention my 34 pocket pant idea, I've got to shut you down. We're going to hear more in our final episode about virtual power plants, so stay tuned. For now, back to batteries. From large scale to residential, our relationship with batteries is evolving, but not everyone will be able to get a battery installed in the homes. Only the chosen ones will. Just joking. So there's a promising area of research happening around what's known as community batteries. So neighbourhood scale batteries are just like normal batteries. You know, you see a Tesla household battery, but they're bigger. This is Marnie Shaw, and I'm sure Marnie will tell us more. See what I did there? Go on, Marnie. I'm from the Battery Storage and Grid Integration Program at the Australian National University, and I'm a senior research fellow there. After receiving a grant from ARENA, not the amazing singer Tina ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, Marnie, along with some of her postdoc students, spent a few years looking at the potential benefits of community batteries. So they're like 10 to 100 times bigger than a typical household battery. The power is sort of around half a meg to one megawatt. Um, And the important thing is that they're positioned on the low voltage network. And um, whereas a household battery would be positioned behind the meter on your house, a neighbourhood scale battery is typically positioned in front of the meter. Remember our border crossing checkpoint? Behind the meter is anything that occurs on your side. In front of the meter is anything that happens on the network side with all the poles and wires. It's a shared energy storage designed to be shared between, say, 10 to 100 houses. Marnie says community batteries could be made financially viable by having a discounted network tariff applied to them. Then, solar-equipped houses would feed solar energy into the large neighbourhood battery for homes to draw from at night. Win-win. But then there are these other benefits, right? You can use community-scale batteries to provide network support services, things like frequency support, voltage support, and the battery can be paid for providing those network services from the network um, services provider. And in addition to that, you can also use the battery to make money through energy markets, you know, say through FCAS or through energy arbitrage. Okay, arbitrage is the buying and selling of electricity from the market. For example, buying in off-peak periods, storing that electricity, and then selling it back during peak time as needed. Huh. I thought it was at the market, like fish market or the flower market. Okay. And FCAS stands for Frequency Control and Ancillary Services. Remember earlier when I said there'd be a test? Deb Saunders, what is the set frequency the grid needs to maintain? Yes, I thought so. 50 hertz, which means 50 voltage cycles per second. As we found out earlier, batteries are really good at helping maintain that constant frequency by delivering or drawing power out from the grid when needed. She is still so much smarter than me. So it could potentially earn revenue for the battery owner. And then I guess one important benefit or potential benefit, I should say, 
is that communities see community batteries or neighbourhood scale batteries as a way that they could manage their own local energy and help them in their shift towards a decarbonised energy system. So we need to decarbonise as fast as possible. Communities are tired of waiting for governments to make those changes. So they see assets like community batteries as a way for them to take matters into their own hands, manage their own energy locally, and they know that energy storage is an important way to do that. In Melbourne, local networks are about to start rolling out trials of community batteries. That doesn't mean the batteries have committed a crime. But in Sydney, the first of three batteries was installed at Beacon Hill in early 2021. And Western Australia already has 13 communities with batteries up and running, with encouraging results. Yeah, so the largest trial so far in Australia is in WA, and um, they've just had the results published this year. And what they found was that most people saved money with the community battery, so around about 85% of people save money. The way the way the trial worked is that people paid a monthly fee, so they paid $11 a month for basically unlimited virtual storage. So they did save money in general, but there was a small proportion of people who didn't save money, so 15% of people didn't save money. Really importantly for the local network is that those batteries were really successful at reducing the peak load in the evening, which was what they were designed to do, they found that there was something like an 85% reduction in that peak load in the evening. So it was really successful technically, mostly successful economically, but some lessons moving forward. One of the lessons that came from the trials is the question of who owns the battery. This is something local communities will have to grapple with because the way the battery is owned and operated impacts the services it provides and the customer expectations. So you might have a network who um, owns and operates the battery and they're doing it to provide network services, which are obviously crucial and very important, but it doesn't necessarily reflect what the consumers are wanting, which is that they want the battery to be used to keep the energy local and to make sure that the electricity that they're consuming is increasingly decarbonised. So we have to make sure that whatever the ownership model that is adopted and the operation model, that it does continue to reflect what consumers and what communities actually want and why they were so interested in community batteries to start with. But what if you live in a towering apartment block rather than a leafy community that has the space for a battery? Yeah, I think shared energy storage is perfect for apartments and especially in big cities where people don't have the room, don't have the opportunity to install their own batteries. In practice, it's a little tricky with apartments because they have a shared meter, electricity meter, so the regulations around providing energy from a battery are a little bit more complicated but because it's such an obvious use case of shared energy storage that I'm, I'm sure that moving forward those uh, rules will be adapted to make sure that 
part of our society has access to shared battery storage. Marty's convinced community batteries will play a role beside grid-scale and residential batteries, and they'll also provide what's called energy equity. Yeah, so we see neighbourhood-scale batteries as a way to improve energy equity in our energy system moving forward. One issue we have in our energy system at the moment is that some people have been able to install solar panels and have their electricity bills substantially reduced, but other people might not have had the opportunity to um, install solar and have the benefits of both, you know, being able to access the renewable energy as well as have the reduced bills. So if we install neighbourhood scale storage in suburbs, it could provide a way for us to share that solar energy around the suburbs. So say if I had solar panels on my house but you didn't have them on your house and we're in the same neighbourhood, my solar energy could be stored in the battery and then could provide the energy to power your house later in the evening. So it's a way to share around the solar energy within the suburb um, and provide more people in that suburb with access to renewable energy. Like a lot of people you've heard from in this series, Marnie's research is also motivated by a desire to do good for the planet's future. Imagine when the planet grows up and starts driving and going to school. Oh, I'm going to worry endlessly because I love it so much. I really love the idea that I'm contributing in some way, maybe some very small way, to helping achieve that goal. I mean, it's, it's not a difficult goal. We can electrify our energy system pretty easily without too much inconvenience Um, and we have all the technology in place to do so so I just want to be part of the solution in making sure it's implemented as quickly as possible. Back in our homes, the number of houses with batteries is already increasing. More of us are looking for ways to store that renewable energy we're generating to use later on. And many are making that choice because we want to make a difference. Remember Dom Pym from our very first episode? He's the co-founder of the Digital Bank Up and, like Marnie, has other motivating interests. Please let it be my invention of the 34 pocket pants. I need a victim. Investor, I mean. Investor sort of save the planet type things, you know, anything to do that's alternative or interesting uh, that, you know, sort of looks generations ahead. Uh, I'm also interested in that sort of stuff as well. No surprise then that Dom's installed a battery in his home. wonder if he has pants with more than four pockets. So I have two Tesla power walls. I was an early adopter, so I got the first version and now I'm on the new, the second version or the third version or whatever it is now. And uh, the thing that opened my mind the most was the animations inside the app and the analytics that were just on tap, right? So I was able to open the Tesla app, scroll over from my car and see my batteries and see, you know, what energy I was generating from the solar, how much I was storing, how I was using it. And then I was able to just with a flick of a switch, turn on the backup. Dom fit 31 panels on his roof, the maximum he could, to fill up both batteries during the day to run his house at night, and connected to a three-phase charger that also charges his electric car quickly. This guy is serious. 
you know, I'm able to store the solar power in the batteries, charge the car, and then drive around clean, <laughs> um, you know, whenever I like. And we take the Tesla on all of our trips with us. The last couple of years, we haven't done any, <laughs> obviously. But, um, you know, we've been to Tassie, we've been to Adelaide, we've been to Brisbane, we've been to Sydney. Like, we'll just go everywhere uh, with it. And it's just no problem at all. So at home, it's amazing. Uh, out and about with electric car, it's amazing. And I think, I mean, it's absolutely the future. And I'm just, um, I'm surprised that it's taken so long, uh, like decades for us. You know, this technology is not that new. Storing power in a battery pack, you know, solar panels, you know, <laughs> electric cars. Electric cars are from the 1800s. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's just taken us decades and decades for it to get sort of mass consumer adoption. But I actually think that everyone will be driving around in electric cars. Everyone will have battery uh, backup and everybody will be using solar or wind or some other form of, uh, you know, renewable energy in the future. And so it's just about the journey from here to there. As our adoption of batteries is increasing, we're going to need to make more of them. Australia is one of the biggest producers of lithium in the world, one of the key ingredients in battery manufacturing. So it's probably no surprise that there are companies out there looking to make premium home batteries right here. Not here here, but here in, well you get it. My name's Bradley Payton, I'm the CEO at Power Plus Energy. And we manufacture lithium ferrophosphate batteries for the solar and uh, off-grid industry. Bradley was interested in electronics from a young age, and he's worked as an industrial salesman on solving people's power problems. That was around the time the idea of manufacturing lithium batteries occurred. Talk about timing. So uh, I sort of formed a a friendship with a a chap, uh, my now business partner, and we started to explore how we could design and build something. Initially, we were looking to get it built in China because that obviously has an attraction price-wise. However, we found that by building it here, we had more control. It allowed us to innovate and we were able to choose you know, quality components and design a product that suited what the market wanted. And Power Plus was born, my favourite Avenger. We registered the uh, the trading name. We reg- we registered the website, eating uh, one dollar hot dogs you know, outside IKEA, and that was sort of four and a half years ago. Power Plus have their own engineering, research, and development teams, and they manufacture about seventy percent of the battery, except for the cells locally. So we use lithium ferrophosphate. Uh, we use cylindrical cells because they're more stable and last longer. Most of us are familiar with lithium ion batteries. That's what we all have in our phones and laptops. Manufacturers love them because of their energy density. That's how much energy you can pack into each cell. But they have a number of issues. Lithium ion batteries can catch fire if damaged and often rely on rare metals like cobalt. They can also be difficult to recycle, like my hair. LFP, or lithium ferrophosphate, is one type of battery that is making waves. They're also known as lithium iron. That's iron, not ion. And don't rely on the same rare earth metals as batteries in your phone. I'll keep referring to them as LFPs so we don't get confused. I mean, (laughs) oh my God, right? Or OMG. You you get it. And so they'll they'll say, we can do 20,000 cycles, or it's going to last for 20 years, or we can charge in 30 minutes. But it's like trying to sell a Ferrari to a mother that is doing the shopping or taking the kids to school. Yes, it's got a better zero to 60 than the, the Holden Commodore or the, you know, the family SUV. But you don't need 
to get zero to 60 to take your kids to school or to do the shopping. You need a family wagon to do the shopping. And that's why LFP at the moment ticks those boxes. It's the family wagon that's going to give you the watts when you need it in a reliable fashion. It's going to last a long time. It's going to be easy to maintain. It's not going to break the bank. So in my mind, commercially at the moment, it's the go-to technology. So that part of the battery, the lithium cell, is imported from China. But Bradley wants to make as much of the battery locally as possible. The metalwork is made here for our cases, is made here in Melbourne. Uh, we use Australian-made copper cables. Um, our BMS boards are now being made in Australia. Our packaging is made here. Our copper buzz bars in our cabinets are made here. Everything that we can source locally, we do. And um, we make all our own cable assemblies here in the factory. The focus is on Australian-made as much as we can. Being locally manufactured and providing local support teams is important to Bradley. He sees it as the defining ethos of Power Plus. Okay, that's way too close to superhero jargon, and that's not even a joke. Plus, we put chopper chops in every pallet that goes out. And apparently, supplying chopper chops is important as well. The installers are sometimes uh, more disappointed if the storeman's forgot to put the chopper chops on than if he's gotten the order wrong uh, shipping out the batteries. Once they've gathered all the materials and a few boxes of chopper chops, the batteries are assembled. When Bradley first started Power Plus, his office was a small rented storage unit. Today, Power Plus operates out of a warehouse with about 60 employees, including some of Bradley's eight. Yes, eight children. So now, on oh, a quiet month, we'll build sort of you know, 1,000 to 1,500 batteries, and with a new expansion, our capacity is about 4,500 to 4,800 batteries a month. That's about the limit of what we can do on this site here. Like Dom, Bradley also has a battery at home, although it doesn't power the house at night. I like the dark anyway. I've been married for 39 years. I've never owned a petrol lawnmower. A lead-acid battery powers Bradley's electric lawnmower for the moment. I've already tagged some 48-volt lithium replacements that'll be going in uh, just after Christmas. I have my own electric vehicle with an electric charging port that's charged by solar. It does have a USB port. I can plug my phone in and listen to podcasts while I'm, uh, I'm driving as well. Give us a wave, Bradley. And it's got a little uh, box on the side that I can put uh, my chopper chops. Of course it has a little box for chopper chops. Well played, Bradley. Well played. Next week on So What? Virtual power plants. Wow. Just a few weeks ago, we learnt where power came from, and now we're launching into the future. Time shift. Technology and artificial intelligence is enabling the creation of virtual power plants, allowing your renewable energy to be stored and then exported to the grid when it's actually needed. I get little text messages from the virtual power plant when it says, congratulations, we've taken five kilowatts from you and given it to your neighbor to you, but don't worry, we're charging your batteries now sort of thing. So you never never lose in this situation. You just haven't bought something, some power at 30 cents You've given it to your neighbour. So all other things being equal, you've done some environmental good by not having to basically go and get power from a long distance away. Join us next week for episode six.
So What is the show that questions everything you thought you knew about energy, and it's brought to you by Origin. Production and scripting by the team at Lawson Media. If you're keen to know more about batteries, I've stored some resources in the episode show notes. You can also learn more about the podcast and listen to other episodes at originenergy.com.au forward slash so what. And if you love the show, why not share it with a friend over a chuppa chup? I'm Andy Saunders and I'm off to get a chuppa chup. Bradley, get over here. <laughs> <laughs>